So uh, I just posted on the uh, Your Favourite Teacher Instagram six questions and I'm I'm just going through an old folder actually. So I've not really thought about these. So I'm going to think about them and do them in real time. So the first question, how does Priestley introduce the theme of social class at the start of the play? Well, the play starts, obviously they're in the dining room. I'm just thinking through stage directions. I've not got the play in front of me because I just want to think about what what I know. Something that's sticking out is um, Mrs. Burling being described as a social superior. So we know then that she's of a higher class than her husband. So that's one way of introducing social class. Um, Also, other things like the fact that they have a maid. Um, And then when Mr. Burling's doing his talking, there's lots of name dropping. Lord, Mayor. Um... We know that it's Lord and Lady Croft. So there's a few things straight away. We know that their wealth is demonstrated in the stage directions. If we think of things like the fact that they're drinking port. Um, stuff like that introduces them as perhaps wealthy and upper class. So I would say that's that's maybe how it's been introduced. And it's introduced that the life that they're living is certainly one that's quite lavish. Okay, my second question was, what is dramatic irony? Okay, so dramatic irony, if you don't know, ugh, you need to write this down because this is super important. Dramatic irony is basically when the audience or the reader know more than the characters. So it's a way, certainly if you're setting plays in the past, you can use events that are going to happen as a way of using dramatic irony so in in this case we have Priestley doing it where he talks about things that the audience are going to know a lot more about than the characters but just to confirm I'm just going to write my answer so what is dramatic irony when the reader knows more than the character just realised this is probably going to be a pretty rubbish low quality podcast but number three how accurate are Mr Belling's predictions okay I'm trying to remember what his predictions were he talks about I know he talks about labour obviously we've got our big one unsinkable absolutely unsinkable which is the Titanic um we've got Germans don't want a war so I'm just barking out my Mr Belling voice Germans I've done German apostrophe S, which is just awful because that is incorrect. German's worst English teacher ever. Don't want a war. Okay, um, we've got... Uh, social. He talks about socialism as well and how it's got... It's not going to go anywhere. Okay, so let's just talk about the ones... How accurate are Mr. Burling's predictions? Well, the stuff that I know most about in this instance would be the Titanic. He says it's unsinkable, but it sinks... So, not accurate. And he says the Germans don't want a war. Well, that's absolute nonsense because a 1945 audience have just lived through two world wars. So, accurate. Uh, No, he's rubbish. Stupid. Mr. B. Um, Now, obviously, it's all well and good you knowing that his predictions aren't very accurate, but why? 
And this is where you, you this is where Priestley's methods, so your AO2, your writing, your writer's methods, this is where you get those marks. Because by using predictions that are false, it sets Mr. Burling as being a bit of a fool. And if we think Mr. Burling's a fool about the Titanic and about the Germans, then perhaps he's also a fool about his views on socialism. Which brings us on to question four. Is Mr. Burling a symbol of capitalism or socialism? Well, we know he doesn't like socialism, so that rules that out. And we know that he is a, quote, hard-headed businessman. So I'm going to go with capitalism. Him being a symbol of capitalism is a way that Priestley can have these digs at capitalism. So Priestley can when he's making Mr. Burling look like a bit of a fool or a bit of a prat, or actually maybe like not that great of a guy because he's very selfish and only involved in himself and reputation. That's what Priestley's kind of saying that capitalists are like. So all of the bankers out there, sorry, but Priestley wouldn't have liked you. Sorry, dad. Um, okay, so Priestley is a symbol of socialism and Burling is a symbol of capitalism. Those two are at war. Question five. This is taking me longer than I thought. What is Priestley saying about the judgment of men such as Burling? Okay, I should probably read these questions before I start answering. So I've kind of answered that already. He is judging them as selfish. He thinks that they're outdated. He also thinks that it's actions of characters like Mr. Burling that leads to the pickle that the country's just been in with the two world wars. And um, so selfishness leads to destruction. We see that in the inspector's big warning, fire and blood and anguish. I'm in a very, very weird mood. Apologies. So what is Priestley saying about the judgment of men such as Mr. Burling? Um, he thinks that their judgment is incorrect, unfair. Um, and outdated would be my three things. Number six, the last one. Think about Priestley's political beliefs. We've probably talked about this already. <laughs> Why would he present the character of Mr. Burling in this way? Okay, so apologies, I did not read these questions before I started answering them. Well, Priestley's political beliefs, he is socialist. So he's against versus capitalist. And by making Mr. Burling presented as a bit of an ignorant, selfish bastard... Um, it means capitalists are bad, <laughs> therefore socialists and Priestley's movement must be the way forward. Okay, so that was just a little bit of insight just to make sure that we know what Priestley's motivations are at the start of the play and so we're aware when we read through the play when we carry on with our revision or maybe start our revision I'm not sure what stage we're all at that we know what to look out for okay so capitalism boo socialism yay okay that's essentially the gist of the play good luck goodbye <laughs>